Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. Welcome to the after party. It's time to change. You're just getting started. You can teach an old dog new ways and not just on Saturday. Hello, children and adults. I hope you're not a child and you're listening to this. This is After Party Pod with Anna David. Um, Look, if you're a child, I'm totally down with you listening to this. Um, With a parent present, um, it really depends on what I mean by a child. I don't know. I have no idea. People often ask me, is Party Girl, can can my child read it? Or a newcomer uh, addict asks that and I... uh, I say sponsees have to wait six months and children should be 18, which means they're not a child technically anymore. Anyway, hi, this is After Party Pod. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. Glad you're here. Hope you will join the after party every week. It's, this was the tagline for the site when I first started it. And um, I had never, I haven't used it in about a year. Uh, and after, well, what was it? We had several the after party where you don't have to be on the list, um, where to go when the party's over. Uh, it, what I mean by the site, I mean after party chat, which is the site that uh, that has articles, five new articles every day about addiction recovery. Uh, we have interviews, we have essays, we have news posts, we have lots of lists. We're funny. We, we try to make it funny. Um, and an after party pod is is a is a part of that. Uh, it is a podcast that goes up on the site every Thursday night, and it is also available on iTunes and Stitcher and SoundCloud and however you happen to get it, so that you're listening right now. Um, what else? Um, things are good. I had a great weekend. I have learned to have a weekend. That's weird. I used to not be able to differentiate between weeks and weekends. It was all just sort of work. And, and then I made a major effort to not work. And, and now it's sort of happening naturally. I just sort of, I don't know, I go and I do something on a Friday night. And then I'm Saturday, I go and I, I'm doing something. And maybe there's a little bit of work because this site is a lot of work. And then I'm doing something Saturday night and Sunday. It, I, I'm sure you guys are familiar with this. It's It's a little bit new to me. Um, what else? Oh, Danielle Stewart, who is one of the contributors and one of the main contributors to the website After Party Chat and a previous podcast guest, one of the very first ones, she and I are going to start a little video blog, a vlog as the kids call it, where we are going to be talking about the addiction and recovery news that we are not covering on the site. So that's something to get excited about potentially. Uh, she's really one of the funniest people I know. So what else? Uh, this podcast is brought to you by Audible. And if you want a free audio book, uh, all you got to do is go to audibletrial.com slash afterpartypod. They have 
over 150,000 titles to choose from. I just downloaded something this weekend. In fact, I I went and I bought on Amazon the the Kindle version of Lena Dunham's book, Not That Kind of Girl. And then I thought, you know what? That would be actually a really fun book to listen to. It would be fun to read, but... Not, I find that there are certain books that I can get really into listening to on Audible, and and I knew that that would be one of them. And so I returned the Amazon. They let me do it, um, and then I got the Audible, and it's great. She reads it herself. She's I'm a huge fan of hers. Just so you are perfectly clear about that. Now, that brings us to today's guest, Alice. Carbone. I'm, I actually, right after she left, I texted her and I said, now, is it Carboni? I was spelling it phonetically, Carbone. Um, and she very kindly recorded her voice saying it and, and texted it to me, but I can't do it the way she can. She's got a great accent. You're about to, you're about to hear that. And maybe you're listening because you know Alice or you're a fan of Alice is. She has a very popular blog and podcast called Coffee with Alice. And she has had Fantastic guests on that podcast, uh, Jerry Stahl, Henry Rollins, Bill Pullman, Moby, uh, Mark Marin. Did I say that one already? She um, and Janet Fitch, and she's really gutsy and goes out and gets these people to do her podcast. And she's also a writer. She is a regular contributor to After Party Chat. And she has her debut novel coming out May of next year from Rare Bird Books. And so it was exciting to get her on the podcast um, just because I love I love also when it can be somebody who you might be familiar with her writing already from the site. And um, she's got a really interesting story that I did not know. I mean, I knew there was darkness because... She's written, you know, about a lot of those issues for the site, but, but, uh, we got into some new territory for me and, um, she was really forthcoming and I appreciate that. And it just became a really lovely chat about, about going from dark to light and what that really means. So, um, I hope you enjoy this. I hope if you do, you will be kind enough to leave a five-star review on iTunes and subscribe because, um, it really means a lifelong devotion from me to you, which I hope is worth something. And it just helps other people find the podcast. So here we go. Alice Carbone. I first started taking drugs by chewing blocks of hash. Oh my God. I think my copy has like blood stains on it from shooting up while reading it. Party animal. I hate to say that because that makes me sound Paris Hilton. I was on the, as right. I call it, the Autobahn to nowhere. I'm very lucky because would you have wanted to have a celebrity junkie for a dad? You don't keep it? I don't know. Like a normal. Yeah, I just told you how tech savvy I am. But look, it's working. Um, Alice, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for asking me. You were my first interview, uh, live interview, and now this is my very first podcast. I was freaking out this morning. Oh, are you freaking out now? (laughs) Are you calmer? There's nothing to be nervous about. You do a podcast. I know, but I never... no right to be nervous. I've never been interviewed before, so you are the first one. Okay, okay. It's harder to interview people than be interviewed. Oh, yeah. And I predict this will be one in a long line of podcast (laughs) interviews you'll be doing. Um, So, yes, so we met because... We met on Twitter. Mm -hmm. You know, a Twitter Twitter, friendship was born of sorts. Yeah. 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 And then... 
And then you asked me to do, My you friend. asked me, no, you asked me to be interviewed, interviewed yes. by you. Yes. And it was this morning where I, like, I was so, I was so tired. I hadn't slept. And then we went to go do it. And then the, there was too, it was too noisy. So well, ironically, there was a 12 step meeting going yes. on. And yes. so we left and we went back to my horrible old apartment that I hated so, so, so much. Sweet though. It was like horrible. It. But you, you were in a, you were, I was way over it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I oh God, I live in a great place now, but anyway. And so then I thought you were, I thought we were doing a podcast, a podcast. and you were like, Oh, I thought we were doing an interview. Why not just make this a podcast? And we recorded with the iPhone. Yeah. And you really were the first one. And you, I remember you told me, let's see if you like it. We're going to, publish it otherwise it's just going to be an interview and yeah. it worked great and he, thank you it was yeah, good thank you and then <laughs> I realized that my workout class my uh, yoga oh, class was starting and I was like I'm so sorry I have to strip naked in front of you and you you handled it so it's it. all live what it's all live I you're know. stripping naked in front of me I know so we can do this we can do this. So this is nothing. And so, and so, cause you have a fascinating story. So uh, you're born in Italy, mm-hmm. born and raised, born and raised, lived there for 27 years. Uh-huh. Um, four and a half years ago, I was, I wanted to, I wanted to change my life. It was, I was, I was really in a, I was in a really bad place. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how a friend of mine asked me to come here. To, I was an interpreter mm-hmm. and a translator. Mm-hmm. And uh, he offered this gig for like three days mm-hmm. to be an interpreter in Los Angeles. So he said, flew you out? or it was No, like, uh, he- yeah, the company. Was an Itali- it was an Italian producer. Mm-hmm. So I had to be an interpreter here in LA for three days. Mm-hmm. So I said yes because it was a little bit of money. Mm-hmm. And uh, I decided that I would stay here 90 days to clean up and, uh, right. and decide what to do with the life, rest of your with life. My, with my life. Okay. I didn't get so... I mean, it took a while before yeah. I got clean there. Um, but it changed my life. So, and had you had ideas about moving to the States oh, before no. that? I mean, I always liked it. It's like a dream for Italian... You know, for... I, I'd been here before and... But it's very hard. It's very difficult to to move here on a, on a regular... On a, on a permanent basis. Why? So, you know, immigration visa. If you don't have a real reason to be here. And for me, it all worked out because... It started as a joke. It started, you know, I'm going to stay here 90 days. And after 90 days, I went back to Italy mm-hmm. because my visa expired. And uh, while I was here, a press agency asked me to be a journalist for, uh-huh. like, a foreign correspondent for the Hollywood Press. So I did that. They gave me a better visa. So are you in the Hollywood Press Association? Oh, no. Oh, okay. No, I was a, I would do press junkets for mm-hmm. this Italian press agency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, done junkets. It's, you know, what it oh, is. Well, it was a... An experience, yeah. Um, but you know, I stayed here, mm-hmm. and um, and then with the blog, everything changed because I got a you know I got a better visa and I got a publisher from a book. So wait, so you started, started doing the blog, blog. I started and that's the blog right away, like probably two weeks, a month after. And you I got was a visa here. from that? Yeah, I got a visa f- through the blog because I was interviewing people. Uh huh. Um, and you know, the blog started as a joke, as me. Comp- if you read my old stuff, it's like. You know the drunk writing that you do? Yeah. It's angry and depressed and yeah. bragging about how much you drink and how much fucked up you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it was more towards, it was more inclined towards poetry. That's what it was. Right. And um, I don't remember. I interviewed somebody uh, and I started to interview people and Leonard Cohen got involved. Like I wrote a review. 
uh-huh. and uh, of his album. And uh, they loved it. His management loved it. They, they just saw me. it or you sent I it to sent them? I sent it to them. Uh-huh. And they invited me to New York what? to meet Leonard. What? Yeah, this was in 2012. Uh-huh. I, was, I was 90 days sober when I met Leonard. Not even 90, probably 60 days sober. And I flew to New York and met him. And I gave him a very raw draft of my book. Uh-huh. He read it on the plane. That is shocking, this turn of events. And, um, and that's how... Aren't you publishing through Rare Bird? Yes. So Tyson. Yeah. So, yeah. so they, you know, that's a huge lesson that I had to learn on humility, actually. Why? Because I thought that my life would change. Just because, oh, yeah. It, yeah. It kind of did because, you know, it helped my... my immigration. Immigration situation. It was... But it wasn't the fairy tale that I, you know, no. I got the publisher... Through other, you know, by myself, I knew Tyson, and um, things didn't really happen the way I, I was. No, you know, like, I mean, I think that the book, the the my life is going to change overnight. Book dream is just a total yeah. lie. Like I do think, but not even are, getting a manager. I got the man- I got one manager for the first time when I yeah. was Leonard's manager. And is they it, were they a publishing no manager? It was just a like business right. man, my business manager. But things didn't. I lived in this yeah. Fairy tale. Okay, now everything is gonna change. No, this is gonna change my life. It really hasn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I kind of bragged about it the very because it was you know I was getting sober and everything started to go well and yeah. I thought that was my life change moment. You know, and, totally. And I had to really pay a huge price in humility because I lost everything after that in sobriety. Yeah. Um, and I'm not complaining. I'm great. You know, I. Well, you've bounced back. I mean, yeah, that's you know sometimes I think when you, you know, they say crisis opportunity. For the first time, I really, I really did that. I decided not to, you know, play the self beauty card and the yeah, and things turn around unexpectedly. Yeah, I mean, and the thing about you is you you're very honest about it. You know what I mean? Like when I met you, you uh-huh. were very honest about like I'm in this dark place. Your writing for the site was very, you know. I think I started with one on self harm. You know. Oh, they were they were dark. They were great. And then like suddenly you snap your fingers and you're like your Facebook photos aren't like dour. You know, you're like huge smile and like your pieces are all about. Can I share about being happy? You know, it was like a radical transformation. And it's, it is. And it's scary. Yeah. Not just because I'm afraid of losing it, but because I, I always had this idea that I had to suffer. Yeah. Always, since I was a kid, that, you know, if you don't suffer enough, you're not worthy. Right. You need to struggle. Life must be struggle. Yeah. Not always, you know? Um, I know. I know. And what if it's true, because I relate to that a lot, not only not always, but not. I mean, because, you know, they say, you know, pain is necessary, suffering is optional. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, ideally we learn in recovery how to, you know, experience these things. You know, there's, do you know Carrie White? No. Previous oh. podcast guest. She's amazing. She's been sober I'll forever. And she um she used to oh God, she used to say this thing about about like like being in bad weather, it's all about just like having the right slicker. Yeah. Like if you're in the rain, you just you ha- all you need is an umbrella. And ideally, you know, recovery gives us that emotional umbrella. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's that's to me the real shift in in perception in sobriety has been when I stopped 
playing with my pain because I used it yeah for a long time yeah it was kind of another drug for me right how the the being the being a victim mm-hmm. the passive aggressive being victim you know uh, I use it as a weapon well so what do you what people, do you mean um, how would you be passive aggressive oh you know I never I I really I'm learning how to tell people what I feel, what I need, what I like and what I don't like. So in all my previous relationships, not necessarily romantic relationship, but in a work relationship with my family, with my friends, I, I, my game was blaming, was doing everything they, people wanted me to do. Mm-hmm. Because I've, I've always been afraid of being abandoned for some reason. I don't know why. I didn't have that kind of childhood where... But I mean, but, we can get that from a childhood that's un, not traumatic. You know, some probably. some tiny things parents did. I mean, I, who do you know who doesn't have That was my terror of being abandoned, of being... If I tell you, you know, I really don't like this, you're going to get rid of me. Mm-hmm. That's been my fear, my biggest fear. And so what happened is that I would never tell the truth mm-hmm. and then blame the other person for the outcome or mm-hmm. for things that um, I remember after I read the book I had to talk to an ex-boyfriend mm-hmm. just to let him know that the book is a novel but there's something autobiographical and yeah. I wanted to just make sure that he was fine with, with a story in the book and uh, he told me that he had no idea you know it was a very damaging relationship both alcoholics but for the first time he told me Alice you never told me you How never told I me know? what you know something very uh, it was a very traumatic sexual experience that I did completely fucked up and uh, and then it took years for me to right. recover from and he had no idea that it was no a disturbing experience no. for you because I never showed you know I never told him told him mm-hmm. but I blamed him silently mm-hmm. and I wrote a book about I mean not a book about it but a huge you know it's part of my it's part is a huge part in that story mm-hmm. and and I kept hurting myself for what I did that night. Mm-hmm. Like I kept feeling guilty and ashamed. For Are you willing night. to talk about what it was? Is it? It's in the book. It's in the book. Actually, I even wrote about it. Yeah, it's. Uh... And you know, that's the the. the I said that I. Whenever I think that I haven't reached the bottom, right, and I have to go back to that night too. Mm. You know, it was. We were we were both drunk and you know in Italy there's a very open sexuality yeah. where you know making out in front of everybody and but that night went a little bit you know kind of crossed the line mm-hmm. and I wanted more coke and I didn't mm-hmm. have money mm-hmm. so his deal was to um, you know just, you have sex with a dealer right and um, we'll get I'm gonna coke ta- I'm going to take photos okay so that's the, the, the story and um, why photos yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, I hated it. I didn't want to do it, but uh, I was so fucked up and desperate. Yeah. The the crazy thing is that we we walk, you know, we drove through that part of town and uh, the first guy, you know, approached us. And, of course, he said yes. What do you That's mean? How did it work? We basically, we, we were driving in this, you know, downtown Turin where I lived at that time. Yeah. And... Um, and we stopped a car mm-hmm. where the dealer was on, you know, it was just... You knew the dealer or he was... No, you just knew. Yeah, 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 He yeah. was just there. You, you rec- in that part of town, you yeah. can recognize them. And uh, and he, my my boyfriend at that time, you know, he Approached offered him. the deal, you know. In front my of you? He's... You have sex with her and, uh, and you give her... You give her a call for free. Right. And he said yes. Wow. 
And I will never forget that he touched my leg through the open window. Yeah. And I realized that I couldn't do it for drugs. Right. So I drank more, and uh, that's what I did wow. I did it for love. But I did it anyway. Yeah. In, we like, went in a park. There's this crazy... I don't know how much... It's going the most this. interesting thing I've ever heard. So it's, co- I, it's, it's a, comfortable. It's a, and you know, right now, I never talked about this until I really got rid of the shame and realized yeah. that was my past. It's... I don't care. You know, it's, who I, it's not who I am anymore. Yeah. Um, it's, it's something called dogging. What is that? Basically, you go into an open space at uh-huh. a park. Uh-huh. And... Uh, Couples go there. Yeah. Men, other men know what, what happens in that park. So you park, and basically there are codes. If you just turn on the light, they and basically they come out of bushes and, you know. Watch? They wa- they can watch. They can, they can um, have sex with you. It, it's all according to the rules. So you, if you just turn on the light, they can just watch. If you turn, if you turn down the window. Yeah, roll down the can, window. Yeah, roll down the window, and they can participate. So you choose your men. Uh huh. The guy you want to, you know, and so we choose a guy. Uh huh. Honestly, we're like a fifty guys came out. The moment we parked. Is this always for drugs? No, this is a sexual thing. I think okay. it was a British thing, actually. Okay. Okay. And uh, but it's pretty big in Italy. There are places where this happens. So you park, and men are there waiting. But I wouldn't ass- for a couple. But but why would women do it if not for an ulterior motive? I mean, I know some, some women like it. I know, so, but. I, for the most oh, part. Oh, yeah, exactly. And I, yeah. I was terrified of losing him. That's yeah. the point. Yeah. So I had sex with this guy in front of him. Mm-hmm. In the it was car. was freezing. No, we're in a... In the park. Yeah, there was a bench. And okay, yeah. It was freezing. It yeah. was winter. You know, and touring up in the Alps. Yeah. It's it's yeah. A, so I remember snow. And I remember everything, actually. Yeah. And uh, I didn't want to lose him. I thought that I'd say no. And that's been, you know, always my fear. Just like you were talking And that's about, why yeah. I would get high. And that's why I would drink. Because... It allowed me to do whatever they wanted me to do. Yeah. Did it only happen once? That thing happened once, yeah. And so at the time... you and get I the hated coke, myself. Yeah, when you got the coke, you know, if you're in the wrong frame of mind, I, the coke high is pretty shitty. And even, the, and even the drunk, you know? Yeah. And the morning out was... I already hated my body for all the reasons that I write about. Yeah. But... Um, I hated myself for doing yeah. that. And I hated myself for never telling him, you know, no, I don't want to do this. Right. I did a bunch of stuff that I didn't want to do. Right, right. It's interesting that he had no idea. I mean, I well, get it that you yeah. didn't tell him, but still. Well, you know, I did it. He never. Yeah. yeah. We, 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 I, you know, that's something that helped my denial uh, in, um, in understanding that I had a problem. Because I was with people... Like, I didn't have normal friends. Yeah. Or call it normal, whatever you can consider normal. Yeah. But So for me, that was the, the routine. Yeah, 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 yeah. To do and stuff get, you didn't want to do, to yeah, hate yourself and, and for to, it. And, to, and to, uh, to have power. I always felt like I wasn't enough. Yeah. And uh, I was fat and ugly, and I wasn't enough. Was I that true? Oh, yeah. I, I had, you know, when, I, when my bulimia started, I was... You were overweight. I was, I was a little overweight, yeah. Because we all have bo- body dysmorphia. Okay, so you were legitimately overweight. Oh, yeah. Okay, so wait, let's go back further. So you were born... Do you have uh, siblings? I have a brother, a very normal brother. A very normal brother. Is he older? <laughs> He's a younger, two years younger. Okay, so you're the first child in this Italian family. Your parents are still married? Uh-huh. And do they have... Um, is there addiction in your family? No, there's, you know, there's a lot of depression in my family. Mm-hmm. Um, 
my grandmother and I always wanted to be like her I and I, I knew that I was like her and uh, but that that runs in the family like I said you know Real Have people that. committed suicide in your family? She tried, mm-hmm. and you know, it was those years when whenever she, whatever she did, she would be locked up and have electroshock. So that was her entire life, and my, we had a special connection. My grandmother had that same situation. That's uh, what they did, you know, back then. Yeah. That was the lock you up and yeah. uh, fry your brain. Um, and my, why, and, why and did you want to be like her? I felt the connection with her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I knew that she I the, the way she suffered mm-hmm. was familiar to me, even though you were just a child. Oh, I was a very something changed for me like quite early. Mm-hmm. I I don't know what I don't know when, but I remember crying. Like at every I remember every Christmas night, I would end up in my bedroom crying. There was this too deep of a feeling for whatever was happening. Yeah was happening and um, I never felt I never felt part of what was going on Mm -hmm. Um, and this was really this started really when I was when I was very very young and were your parents aware of that? no I I, I lied a lot Mm -hmm. I had this yeah I was like I wanted to be the perfect daughter. It's interesting, I, that in light of what I was saying about how open you were about being depressed and how open you are about being happy today as an adult. But you know, even but even back then, I will never forget that I never had to. My parents, I was a very smart kid. My brother had more problems, like not problems. I mean, he's he's super smart. He's actually living in Germany and studying kind of medicine in, in Germany. So, mm-hmm. but at that time, he needed more attention from my parents I didn't mm-hmm. so I always I was always the grown up one mm-hmm. I was always allowed to do everything mm-hmm. they never said no to me mm-hmm. never had to lie about cigarettes mm-hmm. uh, once I discovered my eating disorder which was very severe at that time you know I went to hospitals and I remember I forget that one day I was supposed to be hospitalized you're supposed to what? Be hospitalized in a, in a clinic? For uh-huh, hospitalized, yeah. Hospital, yeah, I'm sorry. That's why you have to edit all my, all my articles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, you don't know um, how, what trouble if I tried to write in Italian, yeah. Um, and I remember we went there, and after the visit, with the, the first visit with the doctor, I told them, you know what, I don't need this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recover by myself. And they believed me. Well, yeah, but I mean, a lot of people are terribly ignorant about how that works. And if they have no experience. They were in every aspect of, this, of my damaging, and ignorant in a, in a good way, like yeah. really like not knowing. Um, they, were, they lived in denial. Yeah. And they saw me, but they just thought that I was a, you know. So when did you first drink and when did you first do drugs? Well, drink pretty early. I don't remember the age because you know in Italy we don't have a limit, and that's mm-hmm. that's in high school. Mm-hmm. I was not necessarily early. Sometimes I hear people twelve years old. Yeah. Now, um, no, try wine because my my grandpa would make wine. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was never. I one thing that I remember both with drinking and um, and cocaine, which was my main thing. Cocaine and Xanax were my mm-hmm. were my. Uh, Thing. Uh, it was never to have my fun part really lasted mm-hmm. uh, a very short a very short period of time I one of my first the first time I got drunk 
I liked it so much that my only worry was, what about tomorrow? Yeah. So what was that first time? Do you remember the first time that you did coke? Oh, yeah. And that's the... How old were you? How old was I? 18? 19? Mm-hmm. And what were the circumstances? Somebody just brought it out? With a, with a former boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And, uh... Not that same one. No. And, um... And he made me feel beautiful. Mm-hmm. He made me feel beautiful. He made me... He gave me the... I was okay naked. Mm-hmm. And I felt powerful. Mm-hmm. I felt powerful with a man. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first boyfriend was a heroin addict. Mm-hmm. I was 16 and he was 32. Wow. So you've I always liked love. older men. <laughs> yeah, I think I had, I don't know, but at yeah. that time I was kind of sick. Like, Are you very was, close to your dad? Is, is like, you know, my mom always loved older men and she had a super I had close a relationship. relationship with my dad. I'm starting now to, mm-hmm. I don't know what happened. We, we always fought a lot. We were very similar. Mm-hmm. And in my family, there was this recurrent thing, like both my mother and my brother, you are just like your father. Right. And it was this anger issue, food issue. That's where the food issue comes from. Um, and there's a part of me that never wanted to be like my father. Right. And now, I, you know... I'm starting now to recover the the, the relationship with him. Mm-hmm. We're far away, so it's uh, probably that's why <laughs> it's easier. You know, I had the same thing. I mean, and I have guilt, you know, about that because I always said, "Why, why don't I? Why I'm not able to say I love you to my parents or to my father, especially? Why I'm not able to hug my father?" It gave me a, a huge amount of guilt. Mm-hmm. What, what I was saying. Um, I was just saying, I had a similar thing with my dad, uh, with them telling me that I was just like my dad, but yeah, but you know, and and it really gives you that idea. First of all, what's wrong? Mm -hmm. Besides, yeah, the anger issue, it's pretty big in my family. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up with the fear of if I do this and there was never violence in my family. It was a viol, it was a verbal, Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I grew up with the idea of, if I do this wrong, you're going to get mad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have this thing now. I have this thing now with a, you know, with a boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And it's usually related to men. Like, oh, my God, if I do this wrong, he's going to get pissed. And you have that with the, your relationship now? Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's in my, I know that it's in my head. Uh-huh. I know that a fight is not necessarily what is going to happen. Yeah. And my families are a fight. Mm-hmm. It was a constant fight. Mm-hmm. Um, Go on. No, and you know it's really hard to get rid of those old ideas. Uh huh. Um, and so and so, did you ever do heroin? By the way, and, uh, yeah, but here in the United, oddly enough, not mm-hmm. with the not with the the junkie the, boyfriend. Yeah, because he was kind of in recovery. It was one of those recoveries where he was allowed to drink and and smoke weed, but he just had to quit. Though. What <laughs> kind of recovery you know, is you know that? that? I will never forget. His first gift was a was a wooden pipe mm-hmm. to smoke weed that he carved in, uh, in, in, uh, in rehab. I his first gift? I think it's still in my parents' house. But his Valentine's mm-hmm. gift. Mm-hmm. There was a flower and this wooden pipe mm-hmm. to smoke weed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he wasn't recovered, so, but it is, it's not in the program. Um, I never, the thing is that I never wanted to become like him. Because mm-hmm. I was 16, 
And I saw what drugs did、mm-hmm. to you.、Mm-hmm. So I decided that food was the right thing for me, and I would damage myself with food. And so you were, were you always overweight as a kid?、Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, not as, probably not like, I would say from elementary school.、Mm-hmm. I had no control.、Mm-hmm. And, you know, I got introduced to bulimia. bulimia. And how long were you bulimic? Oh, oh my. I'm, since that day. And, you know, it's,、uh, I think I haven't, it's been a year now. A year that without, you. Without、yeah. throwing up. And,、uh, because in recovery, you know, when I quit drugs, that was, I gained so much weight.、Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, it was always a matter of, Fluctuating, like it was a fluctuating weight and、mm-hmm. you know, starvation and,、mm-hmm. and binging.、Um, mm-hmm. And how often were you doing it when it was bad?、Oh, I got down to like 10 times a day. I would stick up you know, stuff in the trash. That was my, it was a constant filling up and emptying, filling up. And then,、yeah. you know, I, 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 kind of, I think I kind of discovered this high of、yeah. oh, when you binge and then the purification process. Of、yeah. the, but I ruined my stomach. I, you know, I ended up. Bleeding. That's when I, the first time I realized that I had a problem. So, what、like、happened? Real, I would, you know, throw up blood. Uh huh. And then, did you tell people and immediately、yeah. get help? No.、Uh, my parents, I don't even know how they found out. Well, they, they, you were saying well, they took they, you to that hospital. They took me to a hospital. We went, you know, around to look for the, to look for the right hospital. And,、um, And yeah, I told you know, when we were there in Florence, it was this beautiful hospital with pine, pine trees. And,、uh, and I told them, I don't want to be here. And the reason why I didn't want to be there is because I didn't want to gain weight.、Mm-hmm. So I thought that I could have things under control. And that's what I've been doing you know, with food, with, with alcohol, with drugs.、Uh, and、uh, I just didn't know who I was without all this stuff. And did you go into a program for the food stuff? No. You've just been able to stop? Yeah. With, with,、uh, I think, with, you know, when I got sober the second time, because I got sober the first time and then I relapsed.、Mm-hmm. Um, it w- I relapsed after seven months.、Mm-hmm. The second time, I got so desperate、mm-hmm. and so sad、mm-hmm. that I was really will. And not even right away, actually.、Mm-hmm. It took me. It took me It took me almost nine months.、Mm-hmm. And my second, and as of today,、uh, last sobriety mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To, to really say, okay, this is enough.、Mm-hmm. Because when I got sober, I continued you know, throwing up and cutting myself. Uh-huh. My other. When did you first start cutting yourself? It was a little bit after the eating disorder. I was probably 20.、Mm-hmm. And,、um, and so you, you did heroin later, you said, once you、Very、got here. Very late here in LA, yeah. Did、and、you just snort it or? No, I, sh- I you shot, shot it.、Yeah. Okay, was that、I、a big deal? I never snorted it. Yeah. I think smoked it once. And, and, but I never got it. You know, I was lucky enough、mm-hmm. to discover that at the very. I like Coke. That、mm-hmm. was really my thing.、Mm-hmm. And,、uh, and one of my dealers one day had it, and、mm-hmm. I wanted to try heroin. Mm-hmm. So he just goes, Well, I've got Coke,、yeah. but I've also got hair. And, I, and,、um, and I liked it.、Mm-hmm. I liked it a lot. Did you shoot up at your dealer's yeah, he house? Yeah, He did it for you? And then I did it. It was always a solitary thing for me.、Yeah. But even Coke, you know, I was never a party girl. Yeah. I, I, I had a very short party girl.、Uh, mm-hmm. 
time. Time. Yeah. I was working in a club. I was with this boyfriend in Italy. Mm-hmm. But when I when I came here, it was I ended up locked in a room mm-hmm. and hallucinating and and switching from coke to Xanax. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the story for a, a lot of us. Uh, I was in fear. We've been walking out, you know, to get milk. Yeah. I was terrified of walking. I always had this thing of. I don't fit in the world and uh-huh. I feel uncomfortable. Uh-huh. So I would get high and try to do a couple of things that I had to do. But then I ended up being so scared, you know, so paranoid. Yeah. Uh, paranoid of being caught. And, and, you know, I didn't even have, I wasn't an American. I wasn't, I didn't have a visa. Right. So what right. they do, they send you back there. Right. Um, wait, hang on one second. So what were you saying? You were talking about doing heroin oh, and Xanax yeah. and cocaine. So you were you were home alone doing cocaine and hallucinating and, yeah. and switching off with cocaine and Xanax. Yeah. And, and alcohol. Uh-huh. I would drink. I was drunk. Uh-huh. How many times did you get heroin from that dealer? Six? Mm-hmm. Five? Mm-hmm. It was the very bottom, the very, very end. And, um, and so then you found recovery... I found recovery. Uh huh. I didn't have any idea what this was. Uh huh. Because it's not big in Italy. Yeah. I mean, not that I knew of. Yeah. And uh, if my former roommate at that time, because I collapsed one night, uh-huh. and she, I don't remember if she found me or woke up. Um, I mixed wrong stuff. I uh-huh. mixed pills and coke and drank and Xanax. Because then I, you know, when I moved to the United States, I, I discovered pills. Yes. Um, and I just collapsed. It, well, so it was the Xanax. I mean, it's hard to collapse on cocaine unless you have a heart attack. So it was the Xanax that... It was the mix. And alcohol. It was the mix. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Because I, you know, I had Oxycontin, I had cocaine, yeah. and, Oxycontin uh, and drink, and Xanax. Yeah. And so she just found you? I don't remember if she or I woke up. Like, she was in Vegas. Uh-huh. And that following day, she asked me to go to make a phone call. So, you know, probably you have a problem. Mm-hmm. And I made the phone call to NA at first. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I remember that I would, I stopped drugs, but I kept drinking. Mm-hmm. And that's when my drinking really escalated. Yeah. Because that's every time that I would try to quit Coke, mm-hmm. I would drink mm-hmm. more and more mm-hmm. and more and more. Mm-hmm. And, um, and after six months, mm-hmm. seven, I don't remember, in NA, I relapsed. Mm-hmm. Because something didn't go my way. Yeah. Okay. Wait. So, so in NA, you were drinking. Oh yeah, for a while, and then you know, my sponsor there told me, you know, Alice, this it's is not, not recommended. You. Yeah. What's funny is when I was like three or four years sober, I remember I was answering phones at Central Office with this guy, and I said, um, I said, "Can you drink in NA or, or CA?" I didn't know because I'd never been, and he goes, "Uh huh." I don't know why he said that. And I called my sponsor and I said, you know what? I've been thinking about it. And, um, you know, I'm not an alcoholic. I mean, I was like four years sober or something. And she's like, well, uh, you can't drink in NA and CA. So let go of that idea. Yeah. And they say that in the program. Of course. Alcohol is a... Of course. But, you know, that was my denial. Yeah. I don't have a problem with alcohol. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so then did you go to the other program? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it just didn't work with yeah. my relapse. I mean, it, uh, it lasted for a month. I wasn't out for long. Mm-hmm. I hated it, though. Mm-hmm. It didn't work. I couldn't get drunk. Mm-hmm. I swallowed, and I had a bottle of pills. Mm-hmm. And I hated it. 
Mm-hmm. You had a bottle of pills, meaning you took a bottle of pills, or a friend had them extra, uh-huh. and I got a bottle of oxycod. And it was narco, probably, but yeah, that's what it. Was. Sorry, you took it all at once, or you mean you were no, okay? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and then and then you got into real recovery, or n- not that it wasn't real before, but you got sober. Yeah. And um, how did your life change? Was it very difficult at first? I mean, you mentioned relapsing at seven months, I think. No, because it was so that relapse was so awful. Yeah, what was it like before the relapse? What do you mean in in a, in a, in a, during the? Oh, okay, I see. So, so you you went to NA. I tr- I try not to say the names, but it is uh, interesting. Oh, sorry, oh. No, 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 no. It is. I try. I do. But um, and it's interesting. I was just reading the reviews of this podcast, and somebody said um, somebody I love said how good it was, and he said he was in NA, and all my guests are AA, but he you know, but he gets it, and uh-huh. I thought that was really interesting because it never occurred to me. One of my interns who was writing for me, Erica Larson. I don't know if okay, you know her yeah, violin. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she was uh, an A. Okay. And she wrote about it. I just suddenly worried. Um, but so, okay, so then you relapsed and then you went to AA. Yeah. You know what? The, during the relapse, I think I had something, the seed, the seed was planted in my head, I mm-hmm. think. Um, so I would, every time I drink, it was with guilt. Mm-hmm. Like I knew that I, wa- mm-hmm. that I wasn't supposed to do that mm-hmm. while... Before that, I didn't care. Yeah, I wanted to die. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to. I wanted to die, and I wouldn't die. So, Did, were you actively suicidal? I was. I was for. I tried once when uh-huh. I was when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. You wrists. Yeah. Yeah. Not even a teenager. I was probably twenty in Italy. And was it? Were you drunk? Were you high? No, I was super sober. I wanted to die, and uh-huh. I didn't have the courage. I stopped. Oh wow! Oh wow! Um, and did you stopped and did you have to go to get the wounds you know, healed? You know what happened? I lied. I thought I was about to go to camping that day. Uh huh. I I was camping with my two best friends. Mm-hmm. And I covered it up with a. I was a heavy metal girl, so mm-hmm. I had plenty of like leather uh-huh. bands. Uh huh. So Ouch. I covered with that and it got infected. Ouch! Okay. And I had to get stitches at the doctor at the camping because we were leaving the day after so I I arrived there with this infected wound so they had to reopen it uh-huh. and the only person who kind of knew was my best friend and the other girl who was with us I kept saying that I cut myself with a tuna can I will never forget the okay, tuna okay, can okay, thing okay. like I open it um, and did you tell your best friend the truth? <coughs> yeah. excuse me yeah and she knew mm-hmm mm-hmm and okay, but back to somewhat present day. So, wait, how long are you sober now? Two and a two, no, two and some two, three months. It's hard to do the math. Well, I know, I always round two, up. Two, you know, don't you say? Don't you say two years and some change? I, do, I think <laughs> I, people will say that. People say all kinds of things. Or, what was it like learning the lingo in recovery uh, as a second language? It's really hard. Sometimes the prayers are hard for me because really? I know all the Italian versions. Oh, you do? Yeah. Um, I have this memory of when I was in Paris and by the way, the cocaine, I don't know if it was throughout Europe, but in Paris, it was so good. (laughs) Holy crap. And I was, I was sort of with this, this heroin addict, uh, for the month I was there. And, um, and I remember one night just being fucked up and writing, um, the, the serenity prayer. My Uh my French is really bad, but I could write the serenity prayer. must be so beautiful in French. I can't remember, but it was like, I only knew it from the Sinead Uh O'Connor song. Uh Like I didn't know it from anything else, but okay. So the prayers are kind of hard. 
Yeah, the prayers and yeah, even the lingo. It's um, well, the lingo is so weird sometimes that I would imagine that would be really strange. But you know, I didn't know the Italian one, so I kind of learned from scratch. And mm-hmm. sharing sometimes is hard. Yeah, because I'm very conscious of the Italian. Yeah, and I know that I shouldn't worry. It's recovery. You know, you're just yeah sharing a message actually. Yeah, but I'm very conscious of. And we don't have a lot of Italians out here doing that. No, I don't know I don't, any. I don't think so. Yeah. You know, Italians are really, when I go there, they still ask me, can you just drink a glass of wine? Yeah. They still have this. Have you been to meetings there? I've been to meetings once. Mm-hmm. It's so different. Yeah. Yeah. And that day I was kind of the star of the meeting. They wanted to know everything about America. So the meeting lasted like two hours because for an hour I had to talk about AA yeah. in, in America. And that's not really <laughs> like having a meeting. That's no. like, you know, getting to but do you know, an interview. People there sometimes have one meeting a week yeah and it's for the whole region so people travel like two or three hours to get to that <sighs> meeting it's impressive i've been to meetings in london and then um that were just depressing i mean there were mm-hmm. you know and then when i what do I, you mean by depressing oh i mean like dark men in not dark men uh <laughs> you know dark weather okay uh just like you know those like gray sweaters and dark, you know black coats and just you know but they didn't say it like that. You know, um, I, I want to die on a regular basis, you know, or whatever. It was just depressing. Um, but when I was in Spain for a month, they had, um, they had, I guess, two English-speaking meetings mm-hmm, a week. Mm-hmm. And um, it was like four of us would go. And one of them I saw drinking, like, later that day. And he's like, hey, hey. Like, he didn't even think it was weird. <laughs> and then another... It was like a crazy old man, and he talked about how he smoked pot. So I don't know. It was, it was different. But I'm surprised there aren't more in Italy. At least where I'm from. Up, yeah. You know, I'm sure that in Rome. Yeah. There are more. In Milan, there are more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where I'm from, probably, it's still... And But you just joined right in. I mean, you started making friends. You started to get to know people. I got a coffee commitment right away. Uh-huh. And that changed. You know, I was forced to be there. Yeah. And I... Got it for a year. Uh huh. Uh huh. And uh, and that really helped. Mm-hmm. It's the last thing I wanted to do. I'm shy. I'm very shy in in, in in real life. So I don't. But are you? I mean, you're a real go getter with the podcast and who you interview. I mean, is that shy? You know, that's my. That's what I call my revenge. Uh, like I want, I want to achieve something, and I really work hard to achieve yeah. that. But in a regular life, I'm shy to go to a grocery. I, I rarely look up to you at the grocery store. Oh, really? Yeah. Really? I'm that kind of shy. Um, is it hard for you to, to reach out to people that you admire and you want to have as guests on your podcast, or you just sort of barrel through that? That comes kind of easy for me. I don't know uh-huh. why. Yeah. When it comes to work. Yeah. You're more fearless. I'm, yeah. Because I... I feel like a fu- you know I've been feeling like a fuck up all my life. Yeah. That I want to prove that I can do something good. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like you have now, or it's kind of drives yeah, you still? No, it's not. It's not where I want to be. Where do you want to be? Well, like I want my. Well, the book is not out yet. Yeah. But I want to be recognized for what I do, and I'm not yet. Yeah. It's a hard thing, though, because especially if you're an alcoholic, like, what does recognized oh, yeah. mean? Yeah. Many would say selling a book is, is having recognition, right? Yeah. And, you know, the funny thing is that that kind of recognition and happiness for it lasted two days. Yeah. 
when I signed, you know, yeah. signed the contract. Two days after, I was already okay. What now? What that's so was my experience. I remember when I when my first book sold, I my agent at the time was a real go getter, and she said, you know, listen. Uh, I'm going to email, she said, tried to sell it at auction, you know, which is great because uh-huh. that just means they uh-huh. have to do it in a week. Um, and she said, I'm going to send this out. I'm just going to tell them you're coming to New York next week. Only if we get bites are you coming to New York. And so two people said, you know, she sent it to five and mm-hmm. two said, yeah, 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 we want to meet with her. And so, and then we went in there. So I just knew I was going to find out right away. And I remember I had dinner with friends in New York that night and I said, if this happens, I'm going to be happy for the rest of my life. Like, cause it was so heightened uh-huh. too yeah. to this just few days. Yeah. And I got the call, you know, that it was happening and yeah, I don't know. I mean, it definitely lasted the day, mm-hmm. but I have no idea if it lasts longer. Cause immediately I was like, well, I didn't get a two book deal. I got to go sell a second book. And then you sell the second one and you just, you know, and even the podcast for me is never enough. Cause I'm like, why aren't there more downloads? I mean, I know it really affects your, you feeling it, about it. Yeah. But at the same time, I go from this huge, you know, ego thing that I deserve more. Yeah. Why don't they see me? Yeah. To feel like the worst, you know, well, yeah. That's the other side of the... My old therapist used to say, you're either the shit or what? shit. Like, oh, you've got to oh, figure yeah. out the in-between. Yeah. And it's have really you? hard. Have I? Uh-huh. No. The in-between? I mean, uh, more and more, you know, for a long, long, long time with the books, because um, I killed myself. You know, I did six. And my advances got worse on every single one. You know, I, well, it was sort of like a, it was sort of like recovery. Like it started off really mm-hmm, good mm-hmm. and then it dipped at the halfway. Then it went way up again and then it dipped. And the, the last one, it was a joke what I got. Um, and, and so it's impossible for me not to be affected by that. People say, mm. you know, and especially on your second book, you're going, you've got the mean Amazon critics in your head. You've got all the, oh, I hated your protagonist. Like, it never occurred to me that people were going to hate my protagonist yeah. in my first book. Um, and so that's all in your head. And I, I can never have a pure experience writing again because that's in my head. It's, t- it's you know, and I... I, yeah, I understand that. Oh, yeah. and so my point is that, no, I mean, my first book was supposed to be this huge success. It was sold to Judith Regan. It was... I was paid a lot of money. I was going to be on the cover. And then Judith Regan was fired in, like, the biggest scandal to ever hit publishing. And, and my book was ended up being released three months later under a fake imprint of HarperCollins Made Up. And it got tons of press, but they didn't print a lot. Uh-huh. And, you know, and there was no... Forget a publicity department. There was no... Regan books anymore and so and so I really had been told and had you know that I had a right to these Mm -hmm. expectations and so when it wasn't a bestseller and then um I've been sort of digging out from those bad sales ever since you know my second book my agent said I think it'd be better if you were under a different name wow because you'd have a better shot as an unproven person than as someone whose book was you were you were paid money and you didn't earn out the advance and so, so for years, I've been like, how could I not get what I deserved? How could I? And then it occurred to me, I don't know, a year or two ago, what if I've gotten more than I deserve? What makes me so yeah. confident that I deserve, that I deserve so more. much? Yeah. Yeah. What if there are hundreds of thousands of people smarter and more talented mm-hmm. and harder working than me that have gotten not this? But see, that's how when you shift to the, um, the feeling guilty when you have something, you know, mm-hmm. feeling guilty when I when I'm happier, when I yeah. get something, because I'm not you, sure I really deserve it. Did you feel guilty when you sold the book? No. Yeah. But I thought about, you know, 
Am I this? I still don't know. Sometimes I still don't know why he said yes. Because to me, that book is, and I'm going through the final edits mm-hmm. now. Sometimes I'm like, why? Mm-hmm. Is it really a book? I still don't have. I still don't know whether it's a book or not. I'm still not a hundred percent. I don't know how people. I know now there's old fear. People are gonna people are gonna hate it. People are not gonna like it. Yeah. Uh, my my writing is not good enough. Yeah. I mean, I think if, if it's sold, we can rest assured and it's coming yeah. out. We can rest oh, assured yeah. your writing is good enough. You know, um, it's funny because my second book, I hated, I hated when I sold it. I couldn't believe they made an Which offer. Which one was it? It's called Bot. You loved oh, that bo- one. Oh, Bot was the second one. Yeah. yeah. I hate that book so much. I can't even I tell you. It. And, um, and so I said to them after we sold it, I'd like to do a page one rewrite. And they said, that's crazy. We, lo- we love this book. And I rewrote the entire thing wow. from scratch and I still hated it. And I hated it when it was released, and I have a bad feeling about it still. So, um, so I definitely thought on that it was not good uh-huh. enough to sell. Yeah, and I still think that. Um, but who knows how much is alcohol? You know, it's know. hard to know I what's know. real. That's that's the thing, and you know, sometimes I use that to justify to justify everything. Mm-hmm. I'm an alcoholic. Well, mm-hmm. you know, I'm an alcoholic. That's because that's what people tell you in meetings. Like, but you're an alcoholic. So there's a, there's a justification for everything. I know, which is fucked up because, right? and not everybody tells you that, you know, there are people who do lean on that as mm-hmm. an excuse. And yet I think a lot of it's real. I think our brains work differently. But once we're aware of that, isn't it our responsibility? To, to try to change, yeah. Yeah. You know, I just see it as like the volume is turned up really high. Everybody mm-hmm. has insecurity. Everybody has yeah. fear. Alcoholics have it in a way that they feel like they can't tolerate it. Yeah. It's like they're feeling too much. Yeah. You know, it's like they're being affected by everything that, yeah. that happens. Yeah. So, um, and so, you know, those first uh, few years, I mean, so this, like, this joy that you're in now, is this the first time in, is this the first time you've been really happy in your life? Yeah. Wow. Purely happy. Yeah. And unconditionally happy. Yes. How, this is, you know, I'm actually writing a story on how can I tell the difference between things going well and being spiritually aligned? You know, how do you make sure your happiness is not dependent on circumstances? Wow. Oh my God. Right? You make me doubt about it. (laughs) No, no, no. Because it's so hard. It's so, it's impossible to tell the difference. And I have a lot more experience with happiness dependent on circumstances than happiness because I'm just so spiritually aligned. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. This has a lot to do with circumstances. I'm, you know, I'm very well aware of that. Right. But that uh, doesn't mean it's not real. Yeah, that's the thing. At all. It. It's real. As long as you know that it's going to evolve. Because I know that I'm not going to be and stay in the state of euphoria and right. fairy tale forever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it will evolve. Yeah. But, you know, my thing has always been, I want to get that high. Yeah. And then what happens when you, I know. When you crash? What goes up crash. must come down. I know. But is that as true? I mean, it was certainly true. Like, cocaine is the most, you know, direct, oh, yeah. tangible example. But, you know, I do think that's what recovery is. We learn to temper those highs so that we can temper those lows. Yeah. And accept, and, oh, and accept that there are highs and there are lows. I mean, that's... Yeah. That's life for, yeah. and for everybody, not just for us. Yeah. I never accepted that. I always wanted to stay where I was, you know. Yeah. And I always thought that whether it was good or bad, I wanted the, 
things to stay the same. Okay, this is how it's going to be. I want this to be forever. Even the bad? Oh, yeah. That's so interesting. Because I couldn't deal with the new fake illusion. Why was it a fake illusion? Well, because I would always get attached to, and that's, you know, that's a problem of attachment, which is something else. But if something good happens, I get attached to that emotion. Yeah. And then what happens when that emotion goes yeah. away? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, and so when did the, when did the giddiness and the happiness start? Like <laughs> two or three months ago? Yeah, three months ago. And is it, it's, so you met a guy. I met a guy. Yeah. We fell in love, really. I think that's the first time that I truly love. And what happened? What was, so you had him on your podcast. I don't know. It's kind of public. So yeah, I had him yeah. on my podcast and uh, I've been knowing him for a while. Yeah. But never, I don't know, something happened during the podcast. Mm-hmm. We, we clicked. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, what happened? He said. You know, after I was the one, because he's way older. Yeah. So he didn't want to be, he didn't want to use the podcast as a, yeah. you know. After a week, I invited him for gelato, and uh-huh. we went to have gelato in Malibu, uh-huh. Italian gelato, and uh-huh. uh, and we've been together ever since. Yeah, and so and so, did you have big discussions about what's the age difference? It's like forty years. No, twenty nine. Twenty nine years. <laughs> and I'm very careful to say twenty nine, not thirty. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. My my stepdad, my mom's like big love of her life was my stepdad, who's eighteen years older. Um. Um, 20, I know, 29 is a lot. Wow. Wow. And did you have uh, doubts about that? Never. No. Never. I thought of it once. Yeah. You know, for the future, but then I'm like, why do I... Yeah. Why should I think about the future? Right, right. 20 years from now. Do you guys talk about the future? Oh, yeah. It's kind of serious. I mean, it's... Yeah. It went very fast. Let's put it this way. And so, for, for a future, you could see yourself staying with somebody who's... Oh, yeah. 29 years older? Yeah. Wow. We, we play with the a thousand years. What do you mean? <laughs> We're going to stay together for a thousand years. Uh, it sounds like a no, song. It's really, it's really, um, I want to be happy. He makes me happy. Yeah. And yeah. he's sober too. So yeah. that's very important for me. Yeah. I really needed that. Yeah. Um, so. And, but also it's other things in your life are going very well as well. Yeah. You have the book coming out. The book coming out. The podcast is, you know, it's very slow, but yeah. And I love work. You know, you, you know that I how much I love writing for after. Yes, I, I know. It's, I, and I love having you do it. It's, it's, um, you know, it's such a grind. <laughs> I love the site. I love it so much. It's like my baby, but it is such a grind for me. Cause I'm the only editor. Um, you should be so proud for that. It's it's. I I am. I, I'm very lucky that somebody came along and bought it because uh-huh. I was really losing steam when I was building it on my own, and um, and and we're really gearing up. We're taking ads now, and we are increasing the content mm-hmm. like tenfold. So um, it's kind of scary, but it's good. It's good. Um, See, think about this. Whenever you feel like you're not enough, you know, I, I well, I'm. 13 years and wow. uh, 11, 10 months sober. Okay. So the feeling like it, I'm not enough, has, that is one thing that has gotten so much better over the years. What do you do to make it? Unfortunately, it, the answer was, was live and experience and let time pass. And, you know, and, you know, and the important thing, I think, is, you know, I think a lot of alcoholics, we have a feeling, we don't want to feel lonely. We don't want to feel uh-huh. scared. Uh-huh. So instead, we make up a story that's much worse. 
Instead of I feel lonely, it's I'll be alone for the rest of my life. Instead Mm -hmm. of I feel scared, it's um, this is never going to work out. And so it took doing that enough times and realizing I was lying to myself. I still get fully triggered, Mm. but it's more like moving a phantom limb. I know that it's there and it feels real, but it's not that all-encompassing feeling. How do you know that? Because sometimes I try to do that as an exercise. Yeah. But I still don't know whether I'm fooling myself with that idea. Which one? The, you know, the phantom limb. Like, it's there, but it's not necessarily true. It's really hard. It's like having PMS. You know you're depressed because you have PMS. Oh, you don't? You don't experience that? I think it's all... That's the thing. I always think it's me. Yeah. Well, it's like I don't believe in allergies because I don't have any. But you know what I mean? If you don't experience it, there are people who don't believe in alcoholism because they don't experience it. Mm -hmm. I experience my moods shift, and it is not in my head. It's not really bad. I have friends who have PMS that's just brutal. But even though you know it's real, it doesn't mean it's not true. Yeah. So that's, that's the problem with even the phantom limb, where you're like, um... I know this isn't true, and so I, it's just sort of it's just sort of waiting for it to pass, as yeah. opposed to really believing it and curling up in the small ball mm-hmm, in your mm-hmm. house and going, "This is never going to end." Crying. Which is not a tool. It's well, another tool to deal with life. I don't, yeah, and, I don't think it's a a great tool. I mean, look. No, as an as an ex- call it a tool or a n- necessary rite of passage. I don't know. It's been mine for a long time in sobriety. Yeah. Well, I, this girl that I used to go to meetings with used to say, you know, crying is watering the garden. You need, you need to go through it. But I, I could have had a life. Sp- I, I think I, I, if I could have had less tears in my life so far, I would have taken it. Do you know what I mean? See, for me, I understand your point. For me, it was always necessary. Only by doing this, I'm going to have this kind of absolution or. Yeah. Yeah. Ridiculous. No, it's, you know, I don't think it is. I mean, it's sort of like you had to suffer for however long you were in that depression to experience this. You know, the whatever, the, you know, the, what is, you know, it's always darkest before the dawn. It's true. It's true. Yeah, my idea, though, was that, okay, I'm an alcoholic, so I have to be dark. I have to be, do, um, you know, yeah, pay respect to that label that I, yeah, which is bullshit. That is bullshit. Because it doesn't help people. No, no. You know, if you can share something good and positive with people, because you, you, you're, you're not doing much good in the world if you're if you're telling people. Yeah. You know, if our whole goal with doing all of this work is to show people who are suffering from addiction what life can be like, people will yeah, be like, "I don't want that. that. I'll yeah. keep doing what yeah, I'm doing." That, and that's why I think you read something that I wrote. It's getting sober doesn't mean being miserable and yeah. frustrated. Yeah. Um, that's been a lesson to learn and to accept, to just embrace. Yeah. That, you know, what they said at the beginning was true. Yeah. I always laughed at the fourth dimension. Yeah, I know. Because I go, oh, what, that's bullshit. Now you're in it. It's not. Yeah. Rocket it into the fourth dimension. Yeah, and you know what? I'm very well aware that it's going to change. Yeah, and I mean, it's like, you know, I will pet my cat who I adore so much, and then I, my next thought is, she's going to die and I'm not going to be okay. Like, really, can't I just yeah, experience yeah, petting yeah. a cat? Yeah. You know? Well, and so and so about your podcast, so it's called Coffee with Alice, mm-hmm. and who have been some of your guests? 
uh, I had uh, Moby, Will, Bill Pullman, mm-hmm. I had Mark Maron, mm-hmm. I had Miss Anna Davis. You did, you did. Uh, I had Ben Montench from Tom Pet and the Harvard. Oh, <laughs> I've heard of him. Uh, yeah, that's how we fell in love. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, on yeah. And I'm going to have um, Kate Mikuchi next week. And I know that name. Oh, from... The one from Garfunkenot. You d- Oh, wow. She's fantastic. And I think I reached out to her for this. Oh, because I was doing non-sober people. Oh, I know, okay. no, no, no. I went through this phase where I did, I think, six episodes of people who had just been through something. Oh, okay. But I went yeah. back to sober people. Yeah, so... so. Yeah, yeah. And Janet Fitch. Did you say that I one? I had Janet Fitch. She's yeah, amazing. Fantastic. Yeah. And I'm going to have Danielle. Stewart. Oh, great. In, in three weeks, I think. Oh, I didn't know so, that. Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah. She's, she's... I have Patrick Corneal, who writes for... I listened to for, that episode. It's a beautiful interview. Yeah. I want to have him on this. I haven't it's talked a, to him about it. It's a great interview. Yeah. Yeah, yes. yeah. Bank robber. Bank robber. Yes. Well, listen, Alice, this has been fantastic. Is there anything else you want to tell listeners? Or Thank you. I'm so glad you did this. Uh, if you guys have not seen Alice's stuff on the site, I hope you'll go and read it and listen to her podcast and everything else. Okay. Thanks thank for you. having me. Yep. We've gone international. That was Alice Carbone. <laughs> so self-conscious about how I say her name. Anyway, um, the, uh, the host of coffee with alice the popular podcast the writer for after party chat and the novelist with a debut novel coming out in may of 2015 thank you for listening see you next week